Deep and meaningful conversations to connect, find calm, feel empowered and uncover clarity. Welcome to the Death Dying Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Hello, the gorgeous Kat Barlow. How are you? I'm great. How are you, lovely? Excellent. Kat runs a business called Empowerment Ethos. She's all about working with kids with disabilities, their parents and diversity. So we've got so much that we can talk about. So first up, Kat, tell me a little bit about you, about your experiences in life and how you've ended up running a business called Empowerment Ethos. Goodness. Well, the very short version of that is I was working in uh, film and television when my son came blazing into the world 11 weeks early. So it certainly became clear that I wouldn't be going back to work doing a 90-hour week on a, on a film set somewhere. And so I looked for ways to explore how to use the skills that I learned over the years to be able to help other people. And then as it came along, Noah had complex needs and that grew. And then we got a diagnosis for him of mitochondrial disease, which has no treatment and no cure. And I started to look at all the research that I've done over the years thinking, I wonder how I could help people and help other people like me who are in this situation and circumstance and be able to support them. And I couldn't find anything else out there where somebody had been through it and was also helping at the same time. So it just became an organic growth, really, and then eventually into the business empowerment ethos. And I get the privilege now of walking families through their journey of their exploration into the unknown, basically. So tell us about your gorgeous son, Noah. He's a legend. So Noah, who gets both names, Noah Barlow, in the same way I do, and so he's really into Star Wars, loves Lego. Uh, you know, he's an incredible soul. He's written his own book. And so he is a roller. He's on wheels. He has a tube. And as he would describe it, having mitochondrial disease means that nothing works properly in your body. So all the cells in your body don't make energy properly. So his words to describe it is nothing from the top of my head to the tips of my toes works in an ordinary way. And so life over the last seven years has been an an exploration of what that looks like for him and and for us as a family. Because certainly everything that I've seen with Noah, he's an amazing kid, you know, so you're doing an awesome job. And so did you then think to yourself, well, how do I make the best experience of life for my son and then how do I help other people? Was that the catalyst? At the beginning, it was just trying to work out what was going on for him. You know, for the first two years, we were in hospital constantly and consistently Mm. and no one could give us any answers and no one could tell us what was going on. And so that was kind of the endless cycle that and we were living in, you know, uncertainty. And then when he was about two years old, he had a, an MRI that looked at his bilateral somatical brainstem damage. And anyone who knows anything about brains knows that brainstems are not where you want damage. That's where all your automatic things happen, like your breathing and circulation, you know, the things that you need. And so that conversation we had with physicians then, which was Noah might have seven months, he might have seven years, but he'll certainly, he won't live past 10, was the beginning of that experience of grief, that living grief where there was no treatment, there is no treatments, there is no cure for that. So how do we live? Like I remember sitting, looking at him after that conversation, just going, but, he, but, he's, but he's my Noah, but he's my little one, but he's my soul. What does this look like? How is he laughing and smiling and, and interacting and that be the truth all at the same time? Because that's the paradox of those types of diagnoses is that where they are still your person, they are still your little one, but suddenly all expectation of what might have been goes flying out the window. And so 
you know, in those couple of weeks after that of just sitting in that deep grief of not wanting to face it, not wanting to look at it, which I think is very ordinary. And then just going, okay, how can I honor the life that he has and what's going to happen next and still live in this beautiful way that we want to live and still, you know, still love him in an unconditional way. And so I came to describe it as the terrible gift, which is having a child like Noah has given us the opportunity to experience life in a way that a lot of people don't get to, which is to live in the moment, to live in the now, to not wonder about what might be. And in fact, just go, well, this is what is, let's live for today. Let's, let's do today and see what that looks like. Certainly wouldn't wish it on anybody else. And that's why we call it the terrible gift. What happens when you receive a diagnosis that makes you feel lost, isolated and confused about the way forward in life? Let our doulas provide clarity, help you find information and connection and feel empowered in your choices. DoulaConnections.com.au So what's his experience been through all of this? Like two-year-old to where he is, what is he, 11 or 12 or something now? In all of those years... Or those of us out there that have got children with disabilities, with diversities, you know, that are that are having challenges in life, how do you work with your child? How do you work with the family to be able to look at life as a gift and find the most in everything? Because I know that's what you do. So how have you done that? I think it was listening a lot to Noah and not being afraid to sit with him in, in his darkness and the times where he's like, this isn't fair and this isn't okay for me. And and acknowledging that that was true for him that moment and then looking to what was next you know it's okay not to be okay and now what will we do and now what will be next Uh, and I think for so many families like ours we spend a lot of time trying to fix that situation and trying to mend that situation and trying to find a way out of that situation when in fact if we just invested that time and energy in just being with our children and just having and and sharing with them in what is because i don't know any different mm. this is what it is you know and and recognizing that everything that was ever going to be is already within them uh, and so acknowledging that and instead of trying to fix them when they're absolutely not broken they are perfect in every way and then to to walk each day and so a lot of it was asking questions to Noah we have a, a thing in our house called the living life list and Noah has a website called living life list now where we we don't look towards death but what we do is we look at how can we improve life today what does that look like at the beginning on his list you know he had these big extraordinary things you know I want to hug a seal I want to drive a tractor and certainly you know we made those things happen for him we were we were lucky that that's what we did but they were really small things on there too I remember one of the things he wrote was that he wanted to stand on the coffee table dressed as a viking and be yelling (laughs) on the table and you know those little moments of just going ordinarily I'd be like no you can't stand on the table like why would you want to do that I'm like let's let's try and divert that into something else and then you know the terrible gift meant that I get to go yeah you know what why not like let's both stand on the coffee table and yell like Vikings because I can't see a reason why not to do that and so acknowledging what is actually their experience and acknowledging what actually is important to them you know and it's a roller coaster some days as it is for any parent of any child on earth right it's not you don't get a book with the instructions (laughs) in there yeah wish we did but you've just got to go with what is and certainly for Noah 
his ability to be able to connect with people, for him to be able to explore what's happening for him and, and to explain what's happening for him and to be an ambassador for the charities that he works for is, is extraordinary. He blows me away every time. Every time I think, how will we walk this next step, he, sh- he shows me first. Wow, that's amazing. So how old was Noah when you decided that you could help other people through your own experiences? So I started, well, I was a lot of research. I started learning about neurology. I started um, doing grand rounds, uh, reading all this information to help him first, right? So it was to look at all that information. And then after about five years of solid research and Noah was the oldest tube-fed child with no safe foods and that sort of thing, and I kept being told nothing was possible, and I thought, no, hang on, it is possible. And so I started to make changes. Noah now eats food. He has 35 safe foods, which they never said would happen, and he had surgeries, which they said he'd never walk from, and he does. And, and so I stopped looking at the limits that people would – put on us and started to look at life beyond limits. So life beyond what everybody kept telling us was possible or probable and instead lived his truth, whatever he presented that to be. And so he was about seven when I started to think, you know what, I think this is something I should just share with other people. And it wasn't a business then, it was just literally, we've always shared Noah's story um, and to help other people walk the same path. And so we just became an organic flow of that. Like, what does this look like? And people would ask me all the time, you know, how do you stay so positive? And I didn't see myself that way. I see myself as optimistic, certainly not in that positive way. We're not happiness harassers around here. We live in each moment, whatever that looks like. But then I started to think, well, maybe I I should open the door to teaching this to other people. My mom's a teacher. She's an extraordinary teacher, you know, and so to be able to walk in that path is, is a gift, certainly. So did did you find it was because you you spent so much time in hospitals and you started to observe other parents and other families and the kids and and how did you figure out what you thought they needed and then figure out what they actually did need? It's listening, right? So having people noting what was important to me and what was important to our family was was mostly people listening and, and just sitting in that deep listening where people list with, listen with their heads, with their hearts and with their body and, and instead of thinking they could fix it, which was never the point and, and actually not possible, right? There's nothing to fix, nothing is broken. And so we call ourselves the usual suspects and we would just come around each other and living this life right we got the opportunity to meet people hospice parents um, when we're around the children's hospice here in victoria which we're very lucky to have here and just meet people on these camps and you know we have the darkest sense of humor because that's how we roll and we just came around each other and what i started to understand that actually it was how we were dealing what with what was happening for us now which much more a symptom of what we'd experienced as children or what we'd learned about resilience and grit and strength when we were children mm. and, and the ability to be able to rest and what that looks like and knowing that we don't have to do anything. And certainly there's massive challenges now with COVID and, um, mm. you know, looking after ourselves and, and that sort of thing. But it's listening. It is that deep listening to people because that's what matters to us the most, you know, having people yep. who will sit with us in the darkness and go, yeah. This is really hard. The Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast has more to share. Our daily advice will help you to access information through conversations and feel empowered. Follow Doula Connections on Facebook and Instagram. So when you reflect on all of those parents 
that you've met over these years, are there any similarities in, in really what they're thinking? Are they all just completely different and totally individual? There's, I think there's a massive amount of similarities, right? There's a massive amount of fear. We certainly all experience that across the board, me included. You know, when you're told your child has a life limiting condition, I think your first response is, this isn't what I expected. This isn't okay for me. And, and terror really about what's going to happen next and what would that look like? There just isn't the, the resources out there that you would expect, right? Because for me personally, I believe it starts right at the beginning of a journey when people say, as long as they're healthy, when you have a baby. And actually one in five children have a disability. So what if we started right then and you said, I hope that they're peaceful or I hope that they're happy or I hope that they're, you know, they find love or I hope that they're greatly loved. You know, that would be a better wish for people than I hope they're healthy because I Mm. think right from the beginning, you're often disenfranchised and without information, like somehow what you were gifted was less, which is wildly untrue. But unfortunately, that's how society rolls right now. And then, you know, you have the extraordinary Paralympics and it gives people the opportunity to look at people with diversities and think it's absolutely not less. In fact, look at these incredible badasses and look what might be, you know, for our future. And certainly, you know, there are loads of people with disabilities who don't like sport too, right? Um, it It is a many splendid thing, just like ordinary folk. You know, in this family, it's extraordinary and ordinary. And, and, and we see our disabilities in this house, myself included, as upgrades uh, and a different a, a chance to look at life in a different way. So I think there's massive similarities and some differences, you know, having that ability to be able to cope with what's going on um, and to I think it also takes time. Right. You know, mm. in the first few weeks, in the first few months, it's extraordinarily challenging and and comes with experience when you've got that opportunity to grow with your child and learn what that looks like now that things aren't that are different and you you're able to accept that Mm. I tell you what I bet there's lots of us that have said as long as they're healthy I know I have and I I won't do it again (laughs) I won't do it again I've just learned a lesson from that so thank you for that Kat you know it's huge so we all learn as we go right and me mm. too but but the same with absolutely everything I think that I've come across and experienced with with you know I'm I'm not disabled so I don't know what it's like either all I can do is talk to my mates who are disabled and talk to Noah and tell him my him his experience and you know his journey isn't my journey and I can't know what it's like I can only view from an outside source and certainly I've made massive mistakes in the past about how I've spoken about disability and how I've behaved around people who are disabled I think all we can do is learn as we go and and understand and and be willing to say oh that one's on me and I'm not going to do that anymore for sure so well, you mentioned earlier about you know children with cancer, so I imagine you've you've witnessed a lot of 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 death, you know, in the hospice, etc., with children dying for all sorts of reasons. What's the kids' experience in all of that? When what what have you observed the children and how they how they respond to knowing that they're going to die if they're old enough? or in those last few weeks and days? Like, I'm really interested to know your perspective of the children's perspective of that situation. There is truly a massive gap in support for children who are palliative care who are also witnessing their friends dying. Mm. Massive. Um, In fact, you know, 
we've been to more children's funerals than we have grown up funerals. Um, there was a time there, you know, where there was eight of our beautiful friends lost their babies, lost their children. And I was privileged enough to be there for one of them and for them to allow me into that space when they were so deeply suffering at the beginning and to get a, a tiny glimpse of perhaps what, what grief looks like, you know, and for me to be able to, to, to sit with them and for them to allow me into that intimate space of what that mm-hmm. looks like, you know, sharing photographs and, and, and what that felt like and what that looked like in those final moments too. And so it is the side of that is that we, we're not expecting that. It is not something that we, we would ordinarily think was going to happen. And even um, though children, a lot of the children had complex issues, you know, death wasn't necessarily on the cards mm. or expected um, as rapidly as it came along. And so obviously there's, you know, a, com- a complete distress and overwhelm in those, in those moments and, disbelief that that could be what it is Mm. the other side of that is is walking with a palliative care child like my son who has lost a friend and lots of them um over a small amount of time and actually when we we look for professional support for him for his grief that's outside of me talking to him because it's important that they talk to people outside of their own family there was no one so there is no support for children who are palliative care who have also lost someone. So, and I reached out to big agencies and big people and they said, it's just something we've never thought of doing. So there's certainly great support for siblings and that's wonderful. And, and I think that's, you know, absolutely essential, but in terms of, um, yeah, their mates, there just isn't. So we sought the help of a psychologist for Noah and he has memory books of his friends where he's, written stories about them and he thinks about them, what they look like now and what they do. And usually they're racing each other like Mario Kart on their wheelchairs, <laughs> all different flame attachments to the back. And that's how he talks about them. And it's just opening the door to those difficult conversations because yeah. I think it's grown shy away from death and wanting to talk about it, especially when it's exquisitely painful to us personally. Um, and it's just allowing yourself to sit in that with them because it's raw and because it's difficult and because it's and it's beautiful all at once yeah that's that is amazing because there's no doubt that a lot of the community and certainly children have never experienced death they it's not something that parents tend to think about and a little quick story I mean my mum I can remember her tell her, her her brother died when she was 10 he died on a motorbike accident and still to this day she talks about the fact that not one single person asked her what happened not one single person said are you okay she said it was like nothing happened even her parents didn't want to talk to her about it like it was just like a no-go zone so I suppose People we've get come... really, really worried that they'll hurt them or that yeah. they'll somehow remind them. But what I've known from my friends who've told me specifically about their own children, you can't re-hurt us with this information. We mm. already know it. We're walking it. And actually it's much worse if you don't say their name. Yeah. And so with that information that I've been gifted from my friends, I've tried to, to, to be that with Noah and just say, you know, when he brings them up, you know, as, as ordinary or, you know, and, and kids talk about 
their mates in very different ways, right? Mm. And it's not for us to prescribe what that looks like or how that feels like. And sometimes he's really, really cross and really mad and he's really angry. And other times he thinks it's funny to talk about, you know, like them as Mario Karts and driving around with flames yeah. on them and that sort of stuff. And other times he's got questions. And yeah. and so it's just for me to sit and answer those and, and, and be okay with that because we live in a different circumstance and situation where actually in our house mm. that's a bit more ordinary than is than it, it is for other people. Because you hear so much about people, particularly older people, you know, when they die, families will say, you know, we'll be grateful for their life and look for the good things and what, what do you feel grateful for? But with children, oh, it feels harder to me. Maybe that's just my perception but what do you think about that? I think it feels harder. I do. I think that it's not, you know, uh, the terrible thing about that is on the other side of that is people are like, yeah, but they were sick or yeah, but they were this or yes, but this. And I think that's even worse that somehow, mm. again, that's less or that pain would be less, which is, you know, obviously completely untrue. I think people seek to diminish their own pain with what they state um, rather than it be a real thing for them. So they'll say, you know, mm. oh, at least they had a this or at least they did that or at least you did this or at least you've got that. And, you know, they say things to diminish their own pain because they're not willing to sit in what it actually feels like to sit in the pain with somebody else and compassion as we know the most important thing is that is to sit in is to sit with somebody in their suffering and be willing to do that no matter how hard it is no matter how challenging it is and it is difficult right it, it, it no question that makes you know it's it's challenging but it's also i think it's a gift to to have somebody who's willing to say I'm going to invite you into the most vulnerable time of my life and the most challenging time of my life. Will you sit with me? And to me, that's, you know, an extraordinary thing that someone would al allow that. So I'm always grateful that people, you know, allow that space. And I certainly am still learning too, right? I think we all are. And it's certainly a skill that I don't think most people have. As you say, they don't know what to say. They So they come up with something like, oh, well, at least where it doesn't really sort of it's not it's not deep personal it's more or less in a way like even pushing it aside because it's too uncomfortable for me to talk about so let's go elsewhere but it's uh yeah i could see that in you know uh, lots of cultures like we have is that they they death isn't something that's commonly talked about right mm. it is something to be avoided it's something to not see but then you know you view in other situations like the Bhutanese people where you know they stop five times every day to think about their own death and I've you know read about meditations about micro death practices where the ability to be able to sit in what an ending looks like you know, because we all know people who, you know, when they get to an end of a book, they go slower. They get to the end of a uh, Netflix, they don't want to deal with that. So those micro endings and how we deal with them, you know, speaks to how we're going to deal with all sorts of different endings. Mm. Right? But for me, I think, you know, it is the gift of loving somebody completely and fully is to carry the burden of their death with you and be yeah. okay with that because that's what loving somebody unconditionally is. Yeah, I love that. So are you open to telling everybody the little story about Noah and the camp recently? So we just uh, we just went on a school camp with Noah and, and before we go we spent a lot of time saying, you know, you won't be able to do this and just actually because you're on wheels and, and that's up a mountain and that's just how it is. And so we worked out what would work and what would not work and then on the last day it had been raining heavily constantly, the puddles were 
so thick and deep and the mud was ridiculous. And he just looked at me and I was like, you want to go on this waterfall walk? And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, well, let's go and see what happens. You know, let's just go see. And so we did the first half of the walk, which is about a kilometer and a half through this thick mud and like shoving him up hills in this wheelchair and Noah, Noah started to get a bit worried and I was like you'll be fine let's just go 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 and then we got to the bit where we knew was the end which was there was a bridge over the over the waterfall and then the rest of it's like a climb up the side of rocks and hills and it's full on and I just looked and I was like well we made it this far that's great buddy and he gave me the look again and I was like hey hey we but I'll have I'll have to carry you up there and he's like yeah and I was like okay well as long as you promise not to panic, as long as you promise to be still, and as long as you promise that when we get up there, you know, there's stillness in you and not panic that you're up high. I said, because it, it, that can't be. He was like, okay. So that was it. So I pulled him out of his wheelchair. I put my arms through his vest, which is the safest way to pick him up at the moment. And he is 15 kilos lighter than me and wow. seven centimeters shorter. So that gives you an indication of how big he is and i i dragged him up that hillside i picked him up and i carried him up that hillside oh. his little face when he saw the uh, the waterfall and he's always loved rainbows and in fact uh, it's been on his living life list to see a rainbow through a waterfall so just being able to do that with him and then his little face was everything right you know when you yeah. just go you know what today is a good day today mm. is worth it and and that's life full stop right it's those mm. micro moments that allowing of things that ordinarily you go we do another time or we're not going to do that today or we'll find another way or maybe tomorrow right because we just don't know if we'll if we'll get tomorrow so we do it today and yep. and yeah, it was totally worth it. He wrote a letter, bless him, afterwards to say thank you. So it was really oh, divine. That's such a beautiful story. So, Kat, just quickly, so tell us about the what you're actually doing right now with Empowerment Ethos to help other families. So it's 100% online because, as we know, the life is topsy-turvy <laughs> and especially at the moment. So people can come and join us online. And we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about the way that we talk to ourselves and we talk about grit and we talk about resilience. We talk about compassion burnout we we look at actual burnout we look at all different ways that we can look after ourselves you know we don't talk about self-care because that then becomes a buzzword of what we can and can't do like we can somehow pick and choose we just talk about taking care of ourselves we talk about community care um, asking for help and how we ask for help because often that's not been modeled to us as a child and sometimes lots of the things that's been modeled to us as we were growing up um, isn't something that we can apply to our own lives anymore so what can we do what new strategies can we learn in order to look after ourselves and then to look after our small people we look at things like the living life list and how we can live life today. I remember one lady came to do the course and at the end she said, you know, it's the first time I've looked at my child just as my child, just as my daughter and being able to connect with her like that and not for all of the things that is going on for her that she was trying to help and trying to fix, which of course is ordinary and that's what all parents want to do, right? It makes perfect sense to me, exactly as I was doing, but just to be able to take a step back and go, well, what does it look like if we're going to have fun today? What does it yeah. look like today if we're going to make memories today? Oh, I love that so much. I would so much love to have you back on again for another conversation. Are you open to that? 
Oh, I'd love that. I'd love chatting to you any day of the week. I'm sure we'd all like to hear a lot more stories from you, gorgeous Kat Barlow. So if people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So through my website, empowermentethos.com. If you go on there, there's connections on there for my Facebook page. You're welcome to join us in our group. It's a free group where you can connect to all other parents of kids with disability diagnosed in adversity where we can talk about the universe and see what's going on and where we can support each other too. So all of those links are available on my website. I love you so much. Thank you, Kat, and have an awesome day. Lots of love. Thank you so much. We hope you found this conversation and information interesting, helpful and empowering with the Death, Dying, Diagnosis and Doulas podcast. Help us empower others by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. 